Let us pray. Lord, as we sang, our prayer is how good it is and how pleasant to live in unity and peace. How good it is, Lord, when your Spirit is at work in us to bind us to you and to one another. Give us the strength to make every effort to live in that unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Amen. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, those that God has brought together here today and brought together in faith and trust in the Lord Jesus as our Savior, is to reflect on the church as it exists in a visible form and also reflect on the church as it is invisible by faith in Jesus and only God knows those who are truly part of that. But wherever the gospel of God's grace is proclaimed and His word is used, we can expect to find believers. But you look around at the Christian church, even in Georgetown and the surrounding community in our country and even the world, and you say, why is there so much division? Can't we be unified? And it's perhaps a, a bigger topic than one message on a Sunday morning, but as we think about being followers of the Lord Jesus, we just heard Jesus pray for unity, and I want to come back to that passage and look at it a little bit. I want to focus on some verses from Ephesians chapter 4 and look at two reasons why unity is important and two ways to work at unity. Because when you think about things in the church, next to the centrality of Jesus and the message of the cross and the pages and words of Holy Scripture, one might make the case that unity is the next most important thing. Unity is easy to break, hard to maintain. But as the Scriptures encourage, and I pray we'll see, it's, it's worth every ounce of effort to maintain unity. But a big important question is, upon what is that unity based, and how is that unity, why is that unity important? And like I said, two characteristics in God's disciples that will help maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians chapter 4 is where I'd like to direct your attention. As Paul is reflecting on the grace that God has given individuals and brought us together by faith, we looked at Ephesians 2, by grace you've been saved through faith and the work of God's Spirit in each of our individual hearts. And now he encourages, let's, let's live out this calling that God has given us. But as we start to put individual Christians together in a group of Christians, Paul recognizes there's something that we need to work at and there's something we need to understand. The scripture from Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, that calling to follow Jesus, the calling to believe in Jesus, which is for all of us. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope, 
when you are called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And then Paul lists seven things. And those seven things give us the first indication why unity is important. Because unity gives witness to the God we have. Unity gives witness to the God we have, if you're filling in your blanks on your notes. I encourage you to, to take out those notes out of your worship folder, because the next thing I'd like you to do is go back in those verses I just read and underline all the one phrases from verse 4 through verse 6. And just note them and the significance of each one. Again, one message on one morning could probably do a whole series on those seven one phrases. Did you get all seven of them? One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, seven of them. And so you look at those phrases and and God describes Himself and how He acts with great unity, doesn't He? There aren't many spirits, there aren't many gods, there aren't many faiths, there aren't many baptisms, there aren't many bodies of Christ, there is one. So as God's people unify, it does give testimony to the oneness of the God that we believe in, the God we serve, and how God has revealed Himself. It also helps us understand, at times, division occurs, as we'll see because of human reasons, but sometimes division in the, phys- the visible church occurs for good reason. Because if we just say, let's all be unified and use one term or one title and say, okay, let's agree on that one point, but yet we're not really professing the one faith or we're not really professing one God, is that really a true unity? Or is it just kind of a superficial one? Because in our culture around us, we are led to believe that we all worship one God, but just call Him by different names. And we have to ask ourselves the question, is that true? Are all the teachings about God the same? They aren't. So we could unify and say, well, you believe in God, I believe in God, great, let's not talk about anything else and say, okay, we're one because we both believe in God. And a scripture like this tells me there's more to who God is. There is one God. In other places in Scripture, there's many of them that even God Himself says, don't worship those false gods because they're not me. That is not the faith that I have given you. Even Deuteronomy, Moses says, be careful to follow the decrees and laws and words that God has given you because all around you is going to be a temptation to follow a different faith, a different Lord, a different God. And so part of the unity that we express as disciples, as followers of Jesus, is the faith that God has given, is the baptism that God has given, is the God that has revealed Himself in the pages of Scriptures and delineated Himself against any other God. And that unity has a basis, has a foundation. 
so that as we truly unify around who God really is, we truly do express one God. As we truly unify around the faith, the teaching that He's given, we truly do have one faith. As we do truly understand the baptism, the gift of God that connects us to Him and His family, as the Scriptures describe, we truly have a oneness. As we join together with that commonality, it builds a tight unity. Perhaps this isn't the, the greatest example, but maybe an example. There's many people in the world around, but the person that you chose to ask you to marry him and the, uh, marry you and, and the person that agreed to marry you, there's probably much more commonality in that relationship than you share with many other relationships. And you know that the more commonality you have, the stronger that unity is. So it is in the body of Christ, and God gives us that standard that says, let's work towards a unity that is based on who God is. And Jesus, that's really what he was praying for. I put those words on your message notes again. What was the standard of unity? John 17. My prayer is not for them, those 12 disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Sometimes I hear the phrase that Jesus prayed, which he, which he certainly did. He says, I pray for those that will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. And that's sometimes where the phrase stops. It says, you believe in Jesus, great. We believe in Jesus, how can we have division? And perhaps there are good reasons, there are, there are good opportunities where we need to work towards unity, where there is possibility of unity. But we can't stop at that phrase of Jesus' prayer and say, I pray, Father, that they all may be one. But we have to look at the phrase Jesus qualifies that. Just as you, Father, and I am one. And you reflect on the unity that Jesus had with his Father. Was there any disunity in that relationship? None at all, was there? There was a oneness because they both were God. There was a oneness in purpose. There was a oneness in heart. There was a oneness in mission. There was a oneness in theology. There was a oneness in doctrine. Jesus wasn't teaching something the Father wasn't, and vice versa. And Jesus says, this is what I pray. Those who hear the disciples' message are brought to a unity, just as, Father, you and I enjoy. The purpose of that unity, Jesus goes on, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Again, he gives that standard. I in them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The purpose of that unity is to let the world know that they are loved by the Father. And perhaps connecting with the message from yesterday as we are filled up with that love of Jesus and it flows out over us and through us to the people around us. The unity that God gives us with him and the unity we build with others who also have the work and the word of Jesus working inside is and is intended to be a testimony to the world around to say, you too. God wants you to be part of this love, this unity, this connection to him. Not just to a superficial, visible organization, but to the work of Jesus Christ and his Father who sent him and the work of the Spirit that changes our hearts. That's what builds a unity to testify and witness to the God we have. Secondly, why work towards unity? 
Unity gives traction to the mission God gave. Unity gives traction to the mission God gave. Jesus prayed for His disciples that they would would be in the world but not of the world, that they would be unaffected by the world's teaching and remain true to the teaching He gave. When He sent them out, He says, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus knew there was infighting at times in the disciples. Who's the greatest? Which one did Jesus really love? And Jesus, in essence, is saying, I want disciples, be united. And if you've worked on teams or, you know, in different relationships, when there's not unity, it's hard to get things done. It's hard to move things forward. And Jesus knew that the power of his gospel would be advanced further, faster, with a unity among those who believed in him and those who were proclaiming him. The Apostle Paul, as he went about his journeys, I want to share a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, because in that Corinthian congregation, there was division. And the Apostle Paul addresses it right up front in the first opening verses of the letter he sent to them. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? All those answers assume a no answer. Christ is not divided and Paul was not crucified for them and Paul was, uh, they weren't baptized in the name of Paul, but what was going on is people said, well, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Christ, I follow Peter. And they're divided by the perception of different leadership. And Paul says, all of us as human beings are instruments to proclaim Jesus. Let's unify around Jesus. That's why we're here. Christ is not divided. So Corinthians, I want you to be united around Christ and be united in your mindset and be united in what you are are working at for the sake of the gospel. Because Paul knew, and Jesus knows, that unity gives traction to the mission God gave. So I bring up this topic today not because there's some great division here at Cross and Crown, but just to encourage us to continue to build a unity of faith, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all, but also as we unify around the mission that God has given us to grow in His gospel message and take that gospel message in the community around us to love God, love others, serve the world around us, that we, that we find a unity of purpose and mission. And we work together at it by God's grace. So those are two key reasons why Paul encourages us make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace because it gives clear testimony to who God is and it allows traction to the mission God has given us. Now, two key things he also brings up that he's going to state in the positive, and I also want to reflect on where this goes wrong at times, but two, two key attributes of God's people that help Maintain the unity of the Spirit and bond of peace. I'm going to drift back up to the first verses of of chapter 4 of Ephesians, where Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. There's There's four words there, humble, gentle, and patient, and bearing. But the two, the second one really further explains the first. And so I'm going to focus on two, humility and patience. Those are two key things to keep 
the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Why is that? The opposite of humility is pride. When pride takes over my heart and I exhibit it in an organization or I exhibit it in a relationship with someone else, who becomes most important? Me, myself, and I are the three voter, the three member voting block, right? And pride begins to think about what do I want? And pride begins to think and look at others and say, I thank God that I'm not like them and they have nothing to offer and their ideas are no good. And pride in our own hearts can bring division. And that's why Paul says, be completely humble and gentle because humility brings unity, builds unity. From Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, the model is Jesus Christ himself, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Humility considers others better than myself. Jesus had every right to come to this earth and demand allegiance, demand people serve him, demand that others go to the cross because of their lack of allegiance to him, but he didn't. He came to serve. He considered others better than himself. Even among those 12 followers that he called to follow him, were there times that he could have lashed out? Absolutely. But in humility, he came to serve them. And that's really the second point, too. Humility leads me to serve others. It put myself and my, my, own, my own mindset aside and ask, how can I serve someone else? Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45. Jesus called them all together, his disciples. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Humility leads me to serve others. The disciples were bantering about who's the greatest, and James and John wanted the positions of authority, and the rest of the disciples became indignant that James and John asked first, and Jesus says, time out, let's understand what life in my kingdom, what being a follower of of me looks like. And he says, we're here to serve. And Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Gentleness approaches people with love, with kindness, with consideration, with a servant's heart. And you can see that, you know, you, you think back in your life of where you had a division with someone or with your group or your work group or in a church and ask, was pride involved, either my own or someone else's? Were we there to serve others or were we there to be served? Did I get my way or was I there to help someone else get their way? Was I there just to get my needs met or was I there to help someone else have their needs met? Was I acting selflessly or acting selfishly? And I think you can attribute a lot of division, whether it's a single person leaving or group splitting, because pride became more important than their Savior, and humility was absent.
And so Paul says, let's be humble, because that'll help us keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And the second thing is patience. I remember reading an article years ago about the visible church, and the title uh, is what sticks in my mind, that God's church is a messy church. And a messy church takes patience to bear with one another in love. That's what Paul says. He says, be completely patient, bearing with one another in love. When you hear that word bearing, does that sound like a fun, joyful thing, or does that sound like a hard, perhaps toilsome thing? It kind of has the later, latter, doesn't it? Another word that's sometimes used for patient is long-suffering. And is that not true in the body of believers? Sometimes we need patience from each other. We need long-suffering because we mess up multiple times. And sometimes it's hard to into a body of believers and you look and go, wow, that person's life is really messed up. I don't want to get involved in that. I'm not going to touch that. And Jesus and the Apostle Paul say, be patient with people. And sometimes we have to bear with the messes in our own lives and other people's lives. And people are dealing with the messes in our lives. We can deal with the messes in other people's lives. Because a lack of patience quickly drifts into a fullness of pride, doesn't it? Well, I don't have that problem. I don't know what they're doing here. And Paul says, that doesn't help unity. That doesn't build a bond of peace. That doesn't build a place where we can grow together. That doesn't build a place where we experience God's love and grace and forgiveness. And so he says, be patient with one another. Sometimes it's in the region of ideas. You have different ideas, different ways to do gospel ministry, different ways to serve, different ways to do things. And sometimes just stopping and listening and helping, taking time to understand someone else's perspective and someone else's way of doing things is important. Yes, finally, a decision and a direction has to be reached, but we can be patient. And it may take longer than we'd like it to, but maybe that's the extra effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's more we could talk about in regard to unity, and I invite you to be part of our Bible study after service, between services this morning, to dig into it a little bit deeper. Finishing with this thought, the Apostle Paul says, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If it were not important, the Apostle Paul would probably say, you know what, if you can have unity, great. If not, don't sweat it. He says, no, make every effort to me, that says it's important. To me, that says it takes work. To me, it says it's not easy. To me, it says Satan's going to be working just as hard to bring disunity. He's going to be working just as hard to remove peace and remove the unity of the Spirit. And it's going to take Jesus' disciples making every effort. Is it worth it? Absolutely, because it gives testimony to who God is and the mission that He's given us. Do I have to work at it? Yes, because my sinful nature is impatient and full of pride. And I need God's strength and His forgiveness when it rears its ugly head. And I need your help as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I need all of us, we need each of us, to make every effort. When we sniff out that Satan is getting in between us and creating disunity, we need one another to say, call a timeout and say, hold on, this isn't what God intends. So let's work it out. 
Let's figure it out. Let's make every effort. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Be united in, in mind and thought. So I invite you to consider how will you make every effort to maintain and build the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? And maybe, one, maybe it's connected to one of those two categories of humility and patience. Maybe your effort this week is just to pray for patience or pray for humility. Maybe you sense disunity with someone even among us or maybe it's someone outside of this and maybe it's a conversation, maybe it's a phone call where you don't really feel like it but it's important to listen and to understand. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's not this week, maybe it's down the road where it's going to come up and you're going to remember this message and say, okay, God wants me to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace because it's important. And God will strengthen you to do that. Jesus taught his disciples what unity looks like. Did they struggle with it? Yes. Did he have to come back and re-instruct them and, and, and forgive them along the way? Absolutely. But we as God's followers today, may we also make every effort to maintain the unity, both experience and know the importance and know how to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace because the next disciple and the current disciples live in unity. Amen. May God's peace rest in our hearts and our minds, and may He work in us a unity with Him and a unity with each other, now and always. Amen.